broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. What is up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio show. Thanks for joining us today. We have a full studio today. We are in the studio with folks from Atlanta Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, Emma Folks, and Bruce Logue, my longtime co-host now. Good morning. We've been doing this for a while. It's almost a year. Next month makes a year. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I reached out to you. Uh, I guess it was December. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Glad we got this put together. And we're going to be talking to a few businesses today that sound like they're doing some cool stuff. Yeah, we have um, three nonprofits in the house. We have uh, Pride School Atlanta. We have Anise, Inc., and we have AV200, otherwise known as at cycling, Action, Action Cycling Atlanta. Welcome, all of you. Thank you. Christian Zilovitz. Yes. Otherwise pronounced <laughs> as Smith. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, you're the director of uh, Pride School Atlanta. Yes, I and, am. And tell us what makes Pride School Atlanta so unique. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's so nice to actually sit in the same space with you and actually converse with you. Thank um, you. It's um, Pride School Atlanta, for those who don't know, is a school for all ages, 5 to 18, for students who would like to be in a place where they get to be themselves. And unlike a few other LGBT-affirming schools around the country, we uh go all the way down to age five, which is really important to us because we have parents come to us saying, hey, what about kindergarten? Preschool's been great, but what do I do with my five-year-old princess boy so I know they're going to be well taken care of uh, when, they get to, when they get to elementary school and kindergarten? The other thing about Pride School Atlanta is that we are not just a school. We are a nonprofit organization that supports youth educators and families all around the world, not just around the state of Georgia. So we work hard to support the thousands more uh, LGBT and allied youth educators and families who cannot get to our tiny little campus here in Atlanta. So you have a, a you've basically created an environment where people can just be who they are. They can just be themselves. So if it's the little five year old who wants to wear the Elsa, <laughs> the, the you know, or the Princess Bride dress or whatever, they can do that. And if it's a little girl who wants to run around and with Batman cape, they can do that. But you're doing is it K through twelve? Yes. Necessar- yes. Yes. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the educators? Like, it's not just is it just the LGBTQ community? Is it open to everyone? Oh, as a school, of course, we are open to everyone. But the uh, the mission of Pride School Atlanta is to cr- is to provide LGBTQ and questioning and intersex and asexual and allied youth educators and families um, a rigorous and fun learning environment and um, a place where you get your identity, no matter who you are, is honored. And many of our students actually come to us from uh, families that have an LGBT identified parent or perhaps an intersex parent. Uh, they might have grandparents who are in the community and uh, they just like hanging with their people. And as far as the educators go, uh, several of us identify. Uh, I'm a queer identified trans man myself. One of our other educators is intersex and lesbian identified. Another one of our parents is a parent of a gay youth. Another one is gay. Another one is straight identified with no specific ties to the LGBT community except that she knows what she's seen uh, LGBT youth face in all of her educational career. So we have all kinds of people coming in and out of our doors. A lot of our uh, volunteers are actually transgender as well. 
which is very, very rare in an educational environment. So we have created a space for other, for trans educators like myself and other mentors, especially to be there for kids so they can be a face, be a role model where otherwise we generally don't have any open role models uh, in the schools. Tell us a little bit about the education that they're going to be receiving. Is it a LGBT focused curriculum or is it a, you know, uh, accredited Georgia uh, uh, curriculum that they're going to be receiving? The LGBT stuff kind of happens uh, in natural conversation around us. And if a student wants to focus LGBT oriented issues, they're more than welcome to. Uh, as a matter of course, in their education, we have a lot more LGBT authors on the shelves. We actually discuss what's going on within current issues in the LGBT community. But most of all, the students are there to get an education like at any other school. So we have to provide reading, writing, math, science, social studies, you know, all the typical things that you would have in any other school. And we are a democratic free school model, which means if you want to work more quickly, you can. If you want to work more slowly, you can. There's no short, firm timeline. We offer classes, but you don't have to take them. So students who want to work more independently can also work more independently. So a student is essentially could graduate in the 10th grade, such as myself, uh, instead of taking nonsense classes for the last two, almost two years of school. Exactly. Awesomeness. Yes. <laughs> now, um, how many how many students does, does um, Pride School have? Uh, right now in our building, we only have eight students and uh, they range in ages from eight to 16. And we had four other additional students previously who have since left us, but we had four new ones jump on right away. And we also work with about, currently about 15 other students, uh, youth, uh, LGBTs all around the world, uh, all the way, England, Mexico, California, Montana, Boston, all around uh, Georgia. So uh, we're having quite an impact uh, all around the area, which is great. Now, Christian, um, Trans youth has been in the political news quite a lot in the last year. And uh, what do you see happening with Virginia trans youth Gavin Grimm's case when it goes before the Supreme Court? Um, that's a really great question. Uh, I'm so grateful that for once uh, a trans youth's story is out in the major media, including Glad, and it's, you know, his story is being tweeted out everywhere, it's being shared all over the world. And I think things are going to change for the better with his case. I have a feeling this time that he will win. I, just just for this, the fact that his school stood up for him, but then it was the community that turned around and said that he did not have rights in the building. And when your school principal already is standing up for you, I think it makes a huge difference. And he has the backing of many organizations and he has professionals that are supporting him. And so I think we have a really great chance to change what happens in the United States and create rights for trans youth and trans educators and trans parents. It, it doesn't, it isn't only going to stop with trans youth, which I'm grateful for. Now, what do you think needs to change the most in other schools, um, especially more conservative schools to ensure the well-being of its gender and sexual minority youth, um, possibly also educators and their families? There are, excuse me, there's so much invisibility for trans and queer educators in most schools, I think number one, there has to become a culture of visibility, that visibility is acceptable and necessary. That realizing that 
queer and trans kids are not becoming queer and trans because they have mentors in front of them. They're actually living longer and thriving because they have visible mentors in front of them. And educating, 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 educating people in these school districts about what it's really like for LGBT youth is so important. And realizing that we're just people, we're your neighbors, we are all over the place, and nobody's out there recruiting their kids. You too can miss Thanksgiving dinner. Um, <laughs> give up your family if you know if you become you know if you come out. It's, it's that's not what we're out there doing. We're out there supporting kids, whoever they are. Train that education is, I think, the biggest thing uh, that has to happen so that people are really aware of the impact of their actions on youth, and so that they know what to do when kids come out to them. That's probably the biggest one right along there, too. Great, great. Now, we see your school on major media channels. Uh, what kinds of support have you had from the Atlanta community and beyond? Well, we're sitting right here with some of it. <laughs> <laughs> we have had the, the Georgia Voice, by far, has been one of our biggest allies along this whole journey. And they put a story out about us within two weeks of us forming, I believe it was. We were part of the LGBT youth in Atlanta issue. And we have partnerships with the with Ruby Red at the Hideaway, Ray Matheson, the Hideaway, they've raised almost $4,000 for us, AGLCC, the Atlanta Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, gosh, so many, Hotlanta Softball League, the Atlanta, Gay, uh, the Atlanta Bucks Rugby Organization. So uh, it goes on and on from there. And the great part is that I'd say thousands of people have come by our booth at Pride, Hundreds of people, different people have donated. Uh, we just continue to build partnerships one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And we'll, although we're doing lots of major media work, the biggest impact comes from people simply Googling gay school, trans-affirming school, and so on. And one conversation leads to another, and it's just been really awesome. Well, thank you, Christian. You're welcome. How do people, if people want to get in touch with Pride School... How do they get in touch with Pride School? Uh, one of the easiest ways to get in touch with us is to go to prideschoolatlanta.org or just Google us and our website should come right up. And there's a contact form on the website or you can email me directly, christian at prideschoolatlanta.org. But all of the emails come to me. You can also contact me directly uh, by phone, 206-261-1092. That's 206-261-1092. But all that information's on the website. We are a nonprofit. We do accept your fabulous tax-deductible donations. We have a need for mentors, for volunteers. But most of all, we have a need for scholarships to make sure our school is available to every student who needs it, especially in a pinch when they've just had it out there. And you did say tax-deductible donations. Absolutely. We are a 501c3. <laughs> we are a 501c3. And um, we also have the availability for corporate sponsors to hop on our website and put their logo out there and put their logo on our T-shirts, which are seen worldwide. Great, great. Well, again, Christian, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, next, we have Jeff Kane and Brad Ashburn from Action Cycling Atlanta. Uh, so, guys, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your organization? Sure. Uh, Action Cycling Atlanta was uh, formed uh, in 2002 to help raise money uh, and awareness for an AIDS vaccine uh, program that the Emory University was doing. So, uh, so we've uh, started a, a annual bike ride where we ride from uh, Emory campus out to east of Atlanta to a town called Eatonton, which is about 100 miles. 
And we do that on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, we ride back. Uh, we raise money. Uh, every person that participates in the ride raises money for this uh, for this uh, charity. And we give almost 100% or 100% of all the proceeds to either the Emory uh, AIDS vaccine program or to other uh, organizations that partner with us like Positive Impact. Great, great. Now, uh, when did you all get started? So this actually started as a group of friends in 2002. Uh, we wanted to do something to help uh, fight the AIDS crisis. And so we banded together and we decided to do uh, an AIDS vaccine ride that was put on by a large organization. And it was running in Europe. Uh, and it was a ride that took place over seven days and went from Amsterdam to Paris. So mm-hmm. we got a group of about 10 of us together. And, uh, and everyone had to raise at least $3,000 to participate in the ride. Um, unfortunately, what happened was that due to management issues and costs, None of the money that we raised was actually returned back to charities. It all went to uh, overhead. So we came back to Atlanta in 2002 and were disappointed and wanted to do better. So we formed this ride in order to uh, give back 100% of all the proceeds that we raised to the charity that we wanted rather than, you know, some small percentage of it like we saw in our experience in Europe. Something that I'm uh, I'm aware of over the course of been doing the show, a topic that's that's been discussed a number of times is how HIV is on such a significant rise and still very prevalent around college campuses, particularly here in Atlanta. Um, I think that the community at large often thinks of HIV just as a, a disease that someone that comes from the LGBT community would be dealing with, but that's not the case. It's 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 something that everybody should be aware of. Are you all interfacing with the colleges to try to tackle that a little bit? Because I know that it's it's still very much here today, even though it's not much in the news. Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest challenges we have is getting our message out because we are a, um, an all-volunteer organization. And so there, it takes a lot of time to try to you know break through these other areas. But we are closely associated with Emory Vaccine Center. They are our main beneficiary. Um, and as we meet people and people get um, associated with the ride, they end up on an email um, distribution list. And we like to put out some of that information that's happening at Emory. Um, we also like to spotlight certain things that are happening in the community, um, things about you know the city and and the fact that Atlanta is one of the biggest um, cities in the in the country for new infections. Um, so we try to you know we're not epidemiologists we're we're, but we are very interested in and passionate about it, and we try to you know expand this ride as time goes by. But it does take a lot of effort. Um, what Brad didn't tell you was that Brad has, he was on the original ride. This is our fifteenth year coming up. Oh. So Brad is one of our founding um, members of this this event. So who all you know? You mentioned Brad is one of the original riders. What about you? Do you ride? I ride. Um, I this is my fifth year. Um, I did all 200 miles the first two times. <laughs> and then the second, the third and fourth time I, I did a relay, which is an option that riders can do because 200 miles is a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something else that, that we do a lot of is trying to prepare people for this ride because people get involved because they may know somebody, they may have an interest, they may have, um, just a concern or want to be able to contribute to the community. And, so we try, these aren't professional riders. Um, it's not a race. It is a ride. And so we, we have training and um, ways for people to get prepared for it. Um, because it is just a ride, it's not a requirement that you complete the ride, but that is the goal. And there's options for people at different levels. That sounds perfect for me. 
I won't complete it. <laughs> now, how many people um, are typically involved and are there people that we need to know about that are involved in AV200? Well, the, the vaccine center is, has been the main beneficiary since the inception of this ride. Um, the, the epidemiologists, um, the director, I think is his title at Emory's Vaccine Center, Rafi, has been um, close to the ride and um, presents at our different events. Um, so I think the Emory Vaccine Center is our most important uh, relationship in this event. Do you have a, like a, a goal of how much you're trying to raise this year? Well, we're, we're always trying to exceed. <laughs> I will tell you that uh, last year, out of 130 riders, they raised $320,000. And to date, every penny that's been raised has gone to our beneficiaries. And I will just mention that the other ones are Jerusalem House, which is a provider of permanent housing for low-income and homeless um, individuals affected by HIV and AIDS, and Positive Impact Health Centers, um, which provides HIV um, specialty care and support, um, treatment, um, HIV testing, and prevention services. So. so I know you you have to, usually when I see, okay, and it's not a race, it's a ride. Usually when I see people on, on bicycle rides for a cause, uh, there's logos on the shirts. And I think um, bicyclists have some of the, the best shirts because they have really nice bodies. Um, so like, do you sometimes. have to, sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> so do you have to, like, if you want to sponsor and get your logo on the shirt, is it like $20,000 in, in order to get your, your logo on the shirt? Or So so I don't know that we have sponsors on our shirts, but, uh, you know, we do have T-shirts for everyone that participates in the ride and, and can do it. But if you reach certain uh, uh, fundraising levels, then you can win uh you know, jerseys and shorts that are branded with the AB200 logos on them. So they're very coveted and, and certainly it helps inspire, you know, competition and people to do as much as they can to raise as much money as possible for the ride. Yeah, I will I'll throw in there that the sponsorship level starts at 2,500. So um, as far as being branded. That's right. Yeah. Um, and obviously with, you know, we're an event that's similar to other events as you, your um, sponsorship donation goes up. So does the marketing that we will do on your behalf as part of that. So, and what if, I mean, and that's a really low level of uh, participation in order to to have visibility from a logo standpoint, but what about, you know, the grassroots people, you know, they may not be a business owner or not able to afford it. Like at what level can people actually um, help you um, raise money for, for the ride? Yeah. So um, there's, we obviously will, we'll, we'll take anybody's um, donation. Um, it is also tax deductible. Um, you don't have to be at the $2,500 level in order to be a patron or um, a, a, a giving um, entity. We, we would only, obviously, um, because we have categories and what we will do for those different categories, we stick to that. But um, donations, general a general donation to the ride, a general donation to um, the AV200 to the riders, can be given in that way too. Raising money for the ride is is a challenge. We do have a lot of great sponsors that that are behind us, but again, it's just a matter of you know volunteers and making all of this come together because we depend on the volunteers of people for the ride. I think we have a hundred volunteers, about a hundred volunteers last year. Now the AV two hundred, uh, where is that going to take place this year? Where, what what are your destinations? Where's your starting point? Where do you go to? Yep. So typically we start at the uh, Emory University uh, Medical School and we ride uh, due east to Eatonton 
and we camp overnight. I say camp, we're at a, at a 4-H camp, but we have nice cabins that we stay in overnight and are fed there. And then we take off and ride back on the same routes uh, the next day. So it's actually a little over 200 miles. I think it's about 204, 206 when all is said and done. Uh, but it's a very rewarding experience, and it's a, it's a, it's a terrific scenic route. Great, great. Now, wh- when is this year's event? It is May 20th and 21st. Okay, okay. Now, besides uh, your involvement with uh, uh, Action Cycling, what, what do you guys do for, for a real living? Um, I work for a Southern Company. I oh, okay. work in IT, um, computers, yeah. And you're the treasurer? And I'm the treasurer. You're the treasurer yeah. okay. for... And I work in IT as well. It's just a coincidence. You don't have to be with, good with computers to be with the group. But yeah, I work here in Buckhead doing IT. Great, great. And you're the technology chair? I am for... the technology okay. chair. So our, our websites and our back-end donation stuff, I run that. Now, what can we do? To, how can people help? So there's um, different ways to get involved. We're always looking for volunteers to assist in all of the logistics Right before the ride is obviously when we get really prepared and we're pulling in the donations um, that go out to our pit stops. We need folks to man those pit stops. There's different ways to volunteer. You can be a part of the crew. Obviously, riders, we, we love riders, and we will never turn down a donation um, in any form. In-kind donations are also things that we look for um, as we get to the ride. So, Yeah. And, and the donation threshold for riders is only $500, so it's not a big commitment there. And we are just beginning to uh, do our outdoor training rides. So if you do go to av200.org, uh, we've got a calendar of events there, and you can start getting in shape and sign up as a rider and join us. Do you guys have a hashtag, too? Yes. The hashtag is why I ride. Thank you. Yeah. I'll just say that, you know, we thought that that was a great way for people to kind of we think that some authenticity when people start to talk about their story and why they're involved, and um, I think it's infectious, and uh, we've gotten really good response from from that campaign. Well, thank you both for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And next, we have Zena H. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Good Thanks morning. For having me. And Dr. Carlos Pavo. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Dr. Carlos. <laughs> so, Zena, welcome, welcome. I'm, I'm really glad um, to finally meet you. I've heard a lot about you out in the community. And, I, you know, you've been a pioneer. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Anise mm-hmm. Inc.? Um, tell us a little bit about the company, um, when you started, and why you started it. Okay. Hi. Um, again, my name is Zena Age. I'm the CEO and founder of Anise Incorporated, who has, which has been around for the past 20 years. Um, I was actually getting my master's from Clark Atlanta University, and I was the first and only internship at Outreach Incorporated. And at that time in the 95 and 96, they were using more of a peer concept related to HIV and AIDS. So when I was getting my master's in addiction and social work and a master's in addiction, I realized the gaps in services because they was doing a peer concept, but not really dealing with the cause root issues such as mental health and substance abuse of the reason why people were at high risk of HIV and AIDS. Um, another reason why I started was because my um, godchild um, has trans. He was in New, in New York and transported to um, um, New Orleans or New Atlanta. And what took place is like you know how the North is 
is ahead in the South is 10 years behind with everything negative and positive with everything negative. You know what I mean? So what took place is I actually took him to my daughter's pediatrician and they gave him antibiotics, not doing a full psychosocial assessment and realizing that he was an adopted child and that he was actually HIV positive. So we took the, my godchild to Scottish Rite and at that point they said how long he was HIV positive. So at that point, um, I called several agencies and realized there wasn't any services that was relating to children who were directly infected and families who was affected with HIV and AIDS. So the first program I started was We Want to Know. And that program was geared to actually educate um, mothers at this point how to disclose their status to their children, because a lot of the children did not know that the virus was passing generationally. One of the things that I had to do at Outreach was to create a psychosocial assessment. So when I created a psychosocial assessment, I realized that the virus was passing generationally like teenage pregnancy among socioeconomic, disadvantaged socioeconomical population, not just African-Americans. So what year What year did, 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 did this take place? This was in 1996. Okay, so that's over 20 years yes, ago. Yes, it's actually right? 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. Um, can you talk a little bit, you know, you talked about the South being behind and, and I'm a northerner and I don't I don't subscribe to the South being behind. But it's not just the South that's behind. Certain communities are also lagging. Do you want to talk a little bit about the stigma of HIV in the African-American community? Yes, particularly in the African-American community. What's happening in the African-American community is that the way the virus came out, it came out with very stigma. It came out where it was a white gay disease and that it was more geared to ID drug users. So at that point, it wasn't geared to the African-American population. So what took place was the secrecy, shame, and guilt when it started getting to the African-American population. So in the 80s, of course, it was Reagan. So he was promote. I'm sorry. And it was Reagan and he was promoting the oppressed and the stigmas such as gay and ID drug users. And until they started realizing that women was actually getting the virus through mother to child transmission, that's when the perception started changing. But when the perception started changing, it wasn't changing within the, me- in the media at that present time. It was act up and a lot of things took place where rules and regulations actually changed. But now that it is more of a disadvantaged multi-culture, particularly African-American population, that those tactics are really not working. It's the secrecy, shame, and guilt, specifically in the South. I really feel that it has a lot to do with the uh, um, religion belief relating to the homophobic in the African-American population. I think that the idea that we keep, I call it the alphabet soup, where we keep doing all these adjectives, A, B, C, D, G, B, T, L, B, T, everything, instead of looking at it as gay, straight, and bisexuality, the massive of people do not realize that they are at risk until they actually get on the HIV island. Do you think that, you know, I know, you know, you, the HIV is, is still kind of a stigma in the African-American community and who in as far as the African-American community right now, who what what segment of the population are getting HIV faster than almost anybody else? What happened is if I do CDC determined the terms, it would be men having sex with men. But in people who do not understand and men having sex with men, they think more house school and medicine. So it's really black gay men. 
are bisexual men that are at risk of having an HIV virus. And what happens is we get a lot of African-American men, women, that come into our agency and don't understand what men having sex mean. And a lot of gay men do not want to be identified based on behavior. MSM was a behavior term in order to categorize behaviors. It wasn't a label. So now all of a sudden they're making it a label where it's MSM. And that is causing damage because a lot of people don't understand what MSM means. So basically it's African-American men between the ages of 18 and 24 that are actually getting the HIV virus. I think it's important to, to point out that between 2005 and 2014, the rate for um, the diagnosis of HIV among gay men has decreased um, significantly, especially for white gay men. But when it comes to African-American men and Hispanic, Hispanic men, it has rose risen by 20% each. What about African-American women? It's actually still increasing. And that's where the stigma comes, especially in rural areas. Okay. And that's kind of something that we need to point out that statistically we can look at overall, but I think contextually we need to make sure that we recognize the pockets and the cultural nuances of how the disease but diseases manifest within the community. Can you can you tell us about some of the programs and the response to the public health, you know, just, just what's going on or what's lacking in the African-American communities? I mean, why is it that we're now, you know, the 80s, Reagan, the Reagan era was, what, 30 years ago? I'm yes. not that great with math, but 30, almost 40 years ago. Why, what is, why are things still lacking and what is lacking in the African-American communities? You know, that's a very profound question. Um, we actually, at Anise, uh, we don't just do service delivery. We also do research studies. And uh, we actually have a bisexual study with the African-American population. And one of the things that's come out, and this is with two interviews of two African-American women who are in their 50s, um, who are HIV positive. And they said that the stigma of being bisexual is not as great, but the, state, the, the stigma of being HIV positive is worse in many respects. So it's almost like it's a death sentence, but they question you more about how did you get the disease? People can sort of accept this sexuality from family to family in different pockets of how people just understand sexuality in the last 10 years. But when it comes to the disease structurally, um, as a society, we still have structural stigma. Now, I, I've heard the term uh, or the phrase, um, I do not live with HIV, HIV lives with me. Can you explain? Expand a little bit on that. What I'm realizing is that when people are really comfortable with their status, that they actually can say that HIV lives with me. This is when people are really comfortable and have accepted being HIV positive. But this statement is far in between. A lot of times people are still dealing with stigma and still do not feel comfortable saying that they're HIV positive because of the lack of information specifically in the African-American population. Once again, the um, stigma is very rough and very tough because the information is not giving. The only time that we really focus on HIV is World AIDS Day, National Testing Day, Women and Girls Day. It's not an ongoing educational information. So we try to get people that are really comfortable of being HIV positive that are not in the stereotype. What we're trying to do is get people over 50. We're trying to get people who are well-educated. We are trying to get people who are, are not recovering addicts. We're not recovery sex workers. We're trying to get people who are in the mainstream to say that they feel comfortable being HIV positive so we can start getting rid of that stereotype. So that's why we put that in there. I just saw a commercial the other day um, about, with a mother talking to her 
I think it was an adult son, um, taking him to the doctor and them talking about the medications. And I thought, man, why did it take so long for a commercial like this to end up on the air? You know, again, we're 30 years out and, you know, it, that, that that's a really, really long time. It was a great commercial, but. One of the things that I see they have um, prep and I don't know exactly what prep stands for, but it's prophylactic. It's like a birth control pill. It's like you could take prep for people that like a are prevention. Aging. Yes, the it's prevention. prevention. Right? It's a prevention medication that's taking place. And what happened is a lot of people do not know what prep is because they are promoting it to um, 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 men having sex with men and um, populations that are at high risk of HIV and AIDS. But what's taking pl- place with prep and what they are not talking about is the ST rates are going up in this population. What is that sexually um, transmitted, sexually transmitted diseases? diseases. Okay. So what's going on is the um, the rates of ST is still going up, even though the HIV virus is going down. So we still have to look at protection in the behaviors that are taking place when people are taking prep. I mean, I think we we started off talking about sort of the the South compared to the North. And I'm also a Northerner. I grew up in Massachusetts, but I also teach public health classes at the university level, special master's level. And um, one of the things that I've noticed is that when I do sort of HIV as a, as a case study, and I use Brazil or Latin American countries and how they approach the disease, and I use commercials from the 80s, and they're really sort of like, you know, mom, I'm going to be dating someone, and then the guy who comes to the door is a guy. You know, that stuff will never come here. <laughs> so, but I think we need to go back to where Atlanta is. We're a global city. Right. So if we're going to talk about sort of who Atlanta is, I mean, there's multiple Georges, right? So there's also multiple realities we have to think about. How do we educate people? Because there are multiple cultures coming here. And also, what does that really mean about the work that we do? Definitely. Uh, Another example that I would like to give relating to homophobic and African-American community, everybody know about Will and Grace. I love that movie. Movie. They know about Will and Grace and how it was just culturally competent, and you would see two two white men kissing and what happened. But if you see two black men kissing, all of a sudden you get the the um this the, the macho the relig- religion or whatever. And so there, we are not culturally competent relating to that particular lifestyle. So without being culturally competent, that's where the secrecy, shame, and guilt. So when I see that and when we try to promote that, it's it's more of the religion saying this is wrong, this we should not do this. So we are more culturally competent when we see different populations that are actually being conscious about being in love with the same sex. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about testing. If if someone wants to be tested confidentially, because I think that that's, you know, just a scary test, whether you're you know, sexually active, whether it's same sex, you know, um, regular sex, whatever. No, you know, that that that's like one of those things where, you you know, your heart starts beating, you, you start sweating. Everybody's afraid when they go get tested. But can people get tested confidentially? And if they can, how do they go about that? Yes. Anise provide free testing from 13 to 99. Okay. We provide free HIV testing. And everyone who's having unprotected sex is at risk. Um, it's no particular population. So when they talk about high-risk negative, high-risk negative is everyone who's having unprotected sex. So you can come to Anise at um, 236 Foresight, um, Suite 200, Atlanta, Georgia, 30303. 
are we actually do HIV um, sites where it's like used to be Tupperware parties where we'll go to certain places and do HIV testing, where if we have a group of people or a community-based agency such as you guys that would y'all like to do HIV testing, we can set up a camp and do HIV testing. The things that's different at Anise, what we do with our testing is that by me being a licensed clinical social worker, I realized that when we do testing, we have an intervention department. It's not a prevention department. So when people come in to do HIV testing, we do a mini psychosocial assessment. So all of our HIV testers are clinically assessed as well. So when we see someone that where we ask the basic questions, we do psychosocial assessment. So we are able to tap into other psychosocial issues as well, because at certain agencies, they kind of separate by blood that they wait till you get HIV positive to get services. At least we do the intervention um, component where when we see high risk service, high risk behaviors that we actually get them enrolled into our programs. That's good. But I just want to make a, a, a quick comment. You know, it, it's just, you know, so disturbing to hear that a lot of the stigma surrounding HIV is still prevalent. Um, when uh, my very first boyfriend 30 some years ago uh, uh, had AIDS and uh, I remember the stigma, you know, his family, instead of addressing the concern and worrying about his health, was more concerned about uh, uh, the embarrassment and, of having such a, a, a dreadful disease and, and just that, you know, we're still there, you know, we need to, to, to get past all that. Um, but I understand that you also take a, a holistic approach to harm reduction. Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. One of the things that's so unique about um, Anise Incorporated is that we deal with active addicts. We deal with addicts that are currently using drugs and that's very hard for people to deal with. And one of the things we had to do with that is to use the holistic harm reduction approach because we need to realize that relapse is a, part of, is a form of, re, of recovery. So one of the things that we do is if if we have someone who we have clients, we call them members instead of clients because they want to be part of the team. So we do and we call it emotional support instead of mental health because we're dealing with the population that we're serving. So if we have someone who's actively using, we are still doing a psychosocial assessment and still doing the intake and still providing them services. One of the things that I have to give um, props to is the HUD. HUD has finally decided to do, um, it's called Housing First, where they cannot take out anyone that are actively using or mentally unstable. So Anissa is going to be the agency that actually going to be doing the training to actually get providers culturally competent to use the holistic harm reduction approach, because we need to realize that they have to get the basic foundation in order to start dealing with the issues. Now, I was on your website and I um, saw the Kroger Plus card and uh, I saw something about being able to support your organization. So how, if, if people do have a Kroger plus card, yes. how do they, how does, how do they link that back to, to your group? Two things. What Anise is also part of the combined federal campaign, and we are on the federal level as well. So um, we have a combined federal campaign number. So um, every year um, they go around um, where they ask you what agency that you want to donate to. Anise is actually on that list. And they can get that number on the, the website? Yes, the number is actually on the website okay. as well. Secondly, with the Kroger card, you will have to go and register with the Kroger card. And Anise is one of the beneficial agencies in and every time you use the Kroger card, I need to get a percentage of the funding. Now, I also heard that your group, your agency, may become the beneficiary of a $5,000 grant. 
Yes. What's happening is we talked to a pharmaceutical rep that that um, Pfizer that really is really connected the dots with HIV and mental health. And one of the things that he was saying is that, Zena, if you get um, up to 1500 likes on your Facebook, Facebook underscore dot Inc, that um, they would donate at least 500 Five hundred thousand, five thousand dollars. I apologize. I like that first get, number. <laughs> yeah, I like the first one as well too, um, because it's very hard to get um, unrestricted money with a nonprofit agency. Our money is um, geared for direct services, which is meant to help substance abuse and HIV testing. So we really need unrestricted money to do administrative services. And so, if people want to to get involved, how do they reach out to to you or to your organization? Um, our website is www www.anise.org. We have um, volunteer coordinator. You will go to the website, complete an application for a volunteer coordinator, and we have an orientation where you can volunteer. We're also looking for board members. You know how you do the board members. They kind of fall off at the same time. So we're in gear of looking for board members. So we need board members as well. And you can also get that on the website. Another thing that I want to distinguish Anise from other community-based agencies is that we actually do research and we're doing research where it's community... Community engagement research. Community engagement research where the, the agency is, is, is controlling the research is not where it's a university. And we received our um, I, uh, IRB from uh, Morehouse School of Medicine. And we're actually doing research on transgenders and bisexuality person, um, um, population. The reason why I want to do that is because I'm bisexual. And what I realize is that the information that's coming out about bisexual is incorrect. I'm not greedy. I'm not confused. So we need to You're really selfish. Do, no, I'm not selfish. <laughs> I'm just connected and really connect with the person that I'm with. And they just happen to have a penis or a vagina straight up. So we really need to do some studies related to the bisexuality because that's the invisible population that could really tap into the gay straight, the gay and straight population and really passing this virus to the next generation. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate your your candor, honest candor this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate all of you taking some uh, time from your busy days uh, to join us here. Um, but uh, before we, we take off, I just wanted to check with Jeff and Brad. I don't think we got your contact information. Which What's the best way for our listeners to contact you? Um, yeah, definitely our website, av200.org, is uh, probably the best way to get involved. Or uh, email info at actioncycling.org. Okay. And what's your hashtag one more time? Why I Ride. Great. Great. Like the letter Y or spell it out. W-H-Y-I-R-I-D. You never can tell and it'll throw off your, your trending. <laughs> Thank see? you for asking. <laughs> Got to clarify. Anything coming up with folk steel wealth management? You no. usually have some sort of course or presentation. I do. People get note up. I People get note up. Yes. So um, <laughs> what I'm doing, I'm launching, uh, I guess, Mid, um, mid-March, mid April, uh, Emma Knows Money YouTube channel, Emma Knows Money Facebook page. So there are a lot of things that are community-based that uh, have to do with um, the Afro-Latino, the African-American, a lot of, di- I, I don't like saying the word disenfranchised, major minorities, <laughs> um, things that involve um, them and, and money and what to kind of look out for uh, with the new um, 
uh, administration that we have in office, things that you need to be watching out for, kind of beyond the noise. So uh, I'll be interviewing people on topics. Um, I'll be focusing on the sandwich generation, you know, how you help take care of your parents while you're raising your kids or you have your boomerang kids coming back into the house, setting boundaries with them, and then also looking at those, you know, taxation things and things that are really going to affect us that we need to reach back out and talk to our senators and congressmen about. I've really enjoyed sharing information about the folks that are doing all these things for the community. Thank you all for being here. As it happens, I started my first civic interactions um, trying to help the community myself with my own free time, uh, joining the board of the Cobb County Library Foundation last year. And coming up, if you are a reader, uh, we like to feature various uh, well-known Atlanta authors in our Booked for Lunch series where you can actually sit down, have lunch with an author, um, talk to them a little bit, have them sign books. And this next event coming up on March the 8th, it's going to be 1130 at Marietta Country Club, and we're going to be featuring Mary Kay Andrews. She's going to be talking about her upcoming book, which you can pre-order while you're there. Uh, the Beach House Cookbook, one of her recipes was featured during the uh, Super Bowl, actually, and uh, was very well received. So we got a lot of folks that are looking forward to that. Tickets are only 30 bucks. I'm actually going to buy a table, so um, I'm going to be kicking in myself. And we hope that anybody out there that has an interest, you, you, if you've not been in the library system, I got to say, you, it's worth a visit. I, I had no idea, honestly, myself. I remembered it from when I was a kid. It was just a building with books in it. And I went to the library plenty and I used plenty of their books. But I can tell you today in the library, it is actually a bit of an economic engine for uh, part of our community. I mean, I was very surprised by how many people rely on that resource to go and get access to the internet to be able to search for jobs. They get training and, and, and mentorship, uh, including the GEMS program, which is engineering and math focused on girls. Um, all kinds of cool programs for young people and adults as well. I had no idea existed, and I didn't realize until I walked in in the middle of the day and I was just blown away by how busy the library actually was. So if you would like to support that, and like I say, for selfish reasons, get a chance to meet somebody famous from around here, you get to meet Mary Kate Andrews, uh, go to the CobbLibraryFoundation.org and you can get your tickets. You can also call 770-528-2196, 770-528-2196. Tell them CW sent you. I want to say thanks so much to you all. I've really enjoyed our partnership with the AGLCC. We didn't talk about getting certified. You need to get eight oh, yes. LGBT <laughs> BE certified. certified. Yes. You get to have that done as if you're just going through the process as part of your membership, they will help you become certified. And I can tell you, I've featured numerous businesses, disadvantaged business enterprises over time, both minority, women, veteran, and LGBT. And each of them has explained how much difference that has made for them in terms of being able to interface with some of these large enterprises around the community that are actively recruiting for suppliers to come from these communities to uh, do business with them. So take advantage of that as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the NFL uh, is coming in 2019 for the Super Bowl here. So uh, it's really important 
for businesses mm-hmm. that are eligible to be uh, certified to get certified. You know, Start in, now. In yeah, it takes that. a minute. Yeah, and didn't the NFL reach out to us? Yes, yes. Um, so they are looking for companies, but they are going to do business with companies that do have the LGBTBE certification. So it is, if you're looking at um, getting connected in with, this, with the revenue that's going to be coming into the city, uh, definitely um, reach out to us. Um, you can get that information at uh, www.theaglcc.org, or you could come to one of our events. Uh, our next event uh, we're hosting this Friday at Outfront Theater uh, is uh, our our February 4th Friday event. Uh, it's open to members and non-members. The cost for members is $10. For non-members, it's $15. Um, Outfront out Theater, come on by. Uh, and there's even a, 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 if you come by the event, you could even stick around for a performance. Hey, we had them on here just a few weeks ago. It was really cool meeting them. If you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo. That'll take you over to the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast, and you can subscribe to us. If you're a company that does business with other businesses, well, hey, what a cool way to actually get to know your client before you ever meet them. And you can say, hey, I heard you on the radio, and I heard you say this. It doesn't matter of fact, we can help you with that. Um, check us out. It'll be downloaded straight to your device. You can listen to it when it's convenient for you. And please turn around and click share. Everyone here, there's no cost for being here, but you got to share this information. We got to get this word out. And part of that relies upon you clicking share on Facebook and LinkedIn and all the other social media sites that you take part in. And we'll say thanks in advance to everybody who does that for us. Emma, Bruce, thanks, man. You guys are great as hey, always. Thanks for having us. Love the Making glasses. me a star. Love, love, love the glasses, Clark yes, Kent. Yes, yes. <laughs> everybody in the studio, thanks for making time. I know it's Thank not you. easy to get into our tight garage, but it's worth the trip, man. I appreciate you all. We look forward to catching up with you next time. We'll see you then.